All right, grab those Bibles. Um, make sure you got your notepad close by, pen, or your tape, taping notes, uh, taking notes also. Ready? This is my Bible. The Word of God. And inside, God tells me the plans he has for my life. He tells me how much he loves me, even when this world tells me that I am not lovable. And I shall be all that God desires for me to be. Because his Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. This I proclaim in Jesus name. Amen. If you would turn your attention to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter four. We're going to extract some some key principles, lessons, truths from the book of Acts. As you turn there, I would like to remind parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, so forth, that immediately following this service, uh, I know the world's greatest choir, the little ones. They're going to have rehearsal in this room immediately following this service, but I think they got a lunch prepared for them first. But uh, So all children's ministry uh, and if you have not signed your kid up to sing, they still have time today. So that's uh, immediately following this service. So Acts chapter 4. And, uh, of course, uh, I'm not reading the entirety of chapter 4. We're not even extracting all from chapter 4. But I am going to talk through chapter 4 so that we can understand and have uh, the proper context of these uh, various principles that we're going to pull from. So what I would like to do, I would like to read to you to set the tone, verses 13 through 20. Uh, most of our focus will be in 23 through 31, but to just for the sake of context, and I'll read further, but uh, verses, I'll, I'll read the other verses at a, at a, in just a few minutes, but for the sake of context, I'm going to read verses 13 through verses 20 of Acts chapter 4. It says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing that the man who had been healed standing with them they had nothing to say in reply, but when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what are we to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak any longer to any person in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgment. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And today we're going to talk about witnessing or witness successfully, witness successfully. Well, first and foremost, think about what is a witness? 
A witness is one who has seen something and they are called upon and their testimony is relied upon in order to come up with the details of what has occurred. And a witness obviously has a personal experience with the particular event or with the person. We as Christians are witnesses. We should be firsthand witnesses because in order to be a Christian, one would have had to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They would have had, in order to do that, they would have uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ, meaning that they believe and they trust. Faith is a combination of believing and trust. I believe that Jesus Christ is who God says he is, who the word says he is, and who he says he is. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the one that was foretold of. I believe that Jesus Christ is the one who is perfect. There are no flaws. There are no blemishes. In him I rest. In him I am secure. I not only believe in the person of Jesus and his character, but I also believe in the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross for my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place. I believe that his death on the cross was sufficient for paying the cost for my sins. I believe that through his blood, I have been redeemed and brought into a rightful relationship with Jesus Christ, where at one time, Adam, who represented all mankind, he broke that fellowship, he broke that relationship that man had with God the Father, but through Jesus Christ, I have been reconciled to God the Father. I confessed that I am a sinner and that I am in need of Jesus Christ and this great gift of God that has been provided to the world, but it is only met, it's, it's, it's only felt, it's, it's only received by those who accept this gift, but the gift has been offered to all, but one has to pick up the gift. One has to accept the gift. Well, if one has admitted, believed, confessed, they put all of their belief, their confidence, their trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, and they are now a child of God, then by default, they can easily say, I'm a firsthand witness. I could tell you what God did in the life of Peter. I could tell you what God did in many people's lives throughout the Bible. I could tell you what stories I have heard from other Christians in the church. But I tell you what, let me tell you about what he's done for me. We should be witnesses. We are firsthand witnesses. But guess what? Some of us don't witness successfully. Now that carries a lot of weight. That puts a lot of burden on many people because as soon as we hear that we think so I'm failing I failed I'm not a good witness because I don't know what to say pastor I'm not a good witness because I haven't had the opportunity pastor I'm not a good witness because I don't know many scriptures from the moment you came into a relationship with Christ. As soon as you accepted Christ, like the woman 
who had the encounter with Jesus. To get baptized. She didn't have time to go through a 12-week new members class to teach her some ground basic doctrine. She didn't have time to go to a life group, a Sunday school, or a Bible study. She never attended any midweek gathering, nor did she have any resources given to her online via text or any other thing. In fact, it never even said that she owned an Old Testament. Uh, No one ever sat down with her one-on-one. -on -one. All she had was her encounter with Jesus. And as she... I, I can't keep them to myself. Here's the thing. Hopefully, because we do not witness at all. It's, it, it, it's less of a lack of knowledge. It's just more of... I just haven't done it. I just haven't done it. I want you to be encouraged. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to encourage you through God's word. God wants you and I to be encouraged to witness. And isn't it great that God saw fit not only to save us, but God says, I want to utilize you in the work of seeing that other people come to know me also. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. Let me tell you a little bit what's going on in this text. You have uh, the apostle John and Peter. John and Peter, they went up to the temple mount to pray. And as they went up to the temple mount to pray, uh, they were going to this, uh, they were by this gate called the beautiful gate. And there, there was this man who was, um, he was homeless, disenfranchised. He was also, uh, he had a disability, could not move, paralyzed, and he had been in this situation for 40 years. This was his life. And he was there so regularly that people expected to see him there just as they expected to see the gate there. Just as certain as the chair that you're sitting in was gray last week and it's gray this week, uh, no, everyone expected that chair to be grayed the next week. They expected that man to be there the next week. He was a fixture. He, he was always there. And he was in need because they did not have various programs like we have today to, to help those who are in need. There were no programs there. And so he, his occupation was as a beggar. That's, that's the way he Eight. That's the way he uh, took care of himself. And so he was asking for silver and gold. He was asking for money. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have. But in the name of Jesus, reach down, you get up and walk. And the man was able to stand. The man was able to walk. Uh, this was a work of God because you and I know that someone who has not had the ability physically to move in 40 years, uh, the muscles and uh, the tendons and different things have uh, dwindled and tightened up and, uh, and, and even to get mobility back would take years of rehab and recovery and it still may not be able to move like uh, as if they never had problems before. But this man got up and he was ready to go. He could go fill out a 
application and do whatever you wanted to do. Probably, probably could play football or do construction work or whatever. Everything came back. All the muscles, the tendons, the, uh, you, you know, I, I, it's not, the, listen, the, the hip bone connected to the thigh bone and the thigh bone connected. Everything just came together and the man was physically healed. Well, this man's healing created a stir. A lot of people gathered around. There was a whole lot of talk in town and there was this huge crowd because everyone knew this man who had been in this position for 40 years. And what did Peter and John do? Peter, God led Peter with this platform, with this opportunity. All of these people have gathered together and Peter says, starts preaching the gospel. Now, I don't know if that moves you, but that, that moves me. Now, this huge crowd gathered around because this man is healed. God utilized Peter, worked, worked through him, and the man was healed. But Peter knew that he didn't heal the man. Peter knew that God healed the man. And Peter had this platform where you have all these people around, and Peter started preaching the gospel. Now, I want you to remember this. I always talk to you about the various platforms that we all have. Everyone in this room has a platform. And sometimes those platforms in life, they change. Sometimes they shrink. Sometimes they get wider. Sometimes they, but God shifts them around. But do you know those platforms that you and I are on, where you work at, where you volunteer at, your neighborhood, those are platforms. And the platforms that God gives us, God gives us those platforms so that we can make him known. Not to point people to ourselves. So with this crowd there, Peter started to preach Jesus. Oh, the crowd is there. Listen, Peter didn't have to advertise anything like that. The crowd is there and Peter starts telling them about Jesus. And when Peter starts telling them about Jesus, people's hearts are moved, their minds become unlocked. And all of these obstacles that stop many people from coming to Christ, many of those obstacles, they dropped. And people's hearts open, and many people accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And this created another problem. Now, this is a good thing, right? But this good thing led to another problem. The Jewish leaders, the Roman leaders, the priests, the Sadducees, uh, uh, they had a problem with this because you have this huge following behind the apostle and their work. And Peter and John, they are arrested and they're thrown in jail for doing a good thing. Now, I'm not going to ask you, have you been to jail? And don't raise your hand. But if you have been most of you couldn't raise your hand saying it was for a good thing. They were arrested, placed in jail for sharing the good news. Eventually, the next day, they were brought before the council. You got the Sadducees, you got the priests, uh, you got this, and they're placed in the center of this council. And they're questioned. And Peter, he stops them in verses 8 and 9, and he says, hold up. Are we actually arrested and having a trial because a good thing has happened to a man who once was unable to physically move and he's been here? Is this where we at? 
This is where we are. And Peter and John, their question, well, what did Peter and John do with this audience? Peter and John, they start to preach again. They start to speak. Now, some, now, now you have to understand what's going on here. This would take a lot of boldness because it was not just a short time ago that these same leaders, these same leaders were intimately involved with the persecution and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Peter and John knew this. Remember, they had firsthand experience with Jesus. They were there. And here, now we're on trial with some of these same leaders, the same crowd, and yet and still, they start to speak and preach with boldness. And then the council, they have to ask themselves, what do we do with these men? Because the people are all stirred up. And so they decide, well, let's just go and tell them to be quiet. Just keep your mouth closed. Tighten it up. Duct tape. Whatever you do. Now, first and foremost, be quiet. Don't say anything. Keep your head low. And some of us got that down packed, don't we? <laughs> keep your head low. Don't, don't listen, don't stir up anyone. Don't, 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 don't draw any attention to the fact that there's a move going on. And by all means, don't you dare say the name Jesus. But watch this. Notice what Peter says. And this is what they asked him to do. Just don't say his name. And they summoned them in verse 18. They commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. There's nothing that pleases Satan more than when we have a Bible study and no one actually teaches. Don't speak, don't teach at all in the name of Jesus, but watch Peter. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you make your judgment. But watch this, for we cannot this is a witness, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I have to talk about what I've seen and heard. That's all I have to talk about. And listen, I'm just going to give you 10 seconds. And here, here, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to take 10 seconds. Think about every conversation you have. I don't care if it's about business. I don't care if it's about your kids, whatever it may be. Does it all trace back to something you've seen or heard? Peter and John said, we must talk about what we have seen and heard. Now, I, 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 th this is what I must do. So the first thing we need to recognize as a witness is that we're only talking about what we have seen and heard. That's what he's calling us to do, what we have seen and heard. But now, now let's get, let's, let's go a little bit further. They threatened them further. They let them go. 
and uh, on account of the people, it says in verse 21, because they were all uh, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and they reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So you, you have Peter and John. They are excited to go back and tell now, now some of us say, what, where, what, what could they be excited for? A couple of things they could be excited for. One, they're excited. Uh, they know what happened to Jesus. And they know here they are. They're still physically alive. But second of all, they're excited because they got to preach the gospel. But in verse 24, it says, and when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said, and I'm going to pause there because I want you to write these things down. So the, one, of, one of the key things we must remember is that the core of our Christian faith is not what we do for God, but what God has done in us. Okay, that, that's a key component. It's not what we have done for God, but what God has done in us. In other words, you as a witness being successfully is not based upon what you do for God. It's based upon what God has done in you. And he shares this with, he shares this, uh, uh, these, these truths with them. Verses 13 and uh, verse 20. The key, one of the key components to being a successful witness is that we must spend time with Christ. Notice what he says again in verse 13. It says, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. It's a beautiful thing when the world recognizes that you and I have been with Jesus. One of the key steps in being a successful witness is that the world needs to know that you are with Jesus. They need to recognize that you and I are with Jesus. That means that we cannot just be lip service, but our activities have to demonstrate that. It has to also be, it has to be practical. It can't just be proclaimed with our mouth. It has to be proclaimed with our actions. And by default, people will say, I know that he or she has has been with Jesus. His words are supported and backed up by his or her actions. I told you we have to be careful just doing good works without actually opening, up, uh, opening our mouths because if we only do good works but never proclaim Jesus, people may just assume that you are a good person, an atheist, but a good person. They may say, oh, he's a Gnostic, but he's a good person. They may say, oh, that's a good Muslim brother. Good person. That's a good Catholic. Good per They need to know you are a child of God. So, yes, do the actions, do the activities, demonstrate it. Get, listen, put forth the works, show the fruit, but open up our mouths. We must open our mouths. In verse 20, again, it says, for we cannot, Peter, this is Peter and John's uh, reply once again to the council, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. These are verses that demonstrate that we must spend time with Jesus in order to be a successful witness. The more time that you and I spend with him, 
the more we have to even talk about. But not only that, the more I spend time with him, the more I want to talk about him. Because the more I spend time with him, the more I recognize how good he is. Some of the goodness I've heard about God, I heard about it from my teachers. Some of it I heard about was through preachers. Some of it I heard about was as I was reading the word. But as I walk with him, I start to experience personally his goodness. I start to recognize, listen, when the doctors say this is the issue, this is a problem. Listen, doctor, you don't understand. I walk with Jesus. He's always good to me, even when the medicine ain't so good, even when the surgery is not so good. And even when your verdict is not so good, the doctor, the ultimate doctor is good to me. Uh, Listen, I can look at my money and I realize, okay, today, Carmen, I can tell you today, we will not be eating chicken. But hot dogs on the menu. Isn't God good? Sometimes you can't appreciate. It's it's like the story. They say you can't appreciate a pair of shoes. Unless you don't have feet. Then you stop caring about the brand. You don't care if the bottom of the shoes is color red or green or blue or black. You're just glad to have a foot. To put a shoe on. You go to some of these countries where people do not have shoes. Uh, Burundi, I kid you not. I, I'm standing there. We pull up in town. All the people in the village, the majority of the people, not, not, not 50%, not 60%. I'm talking about in the high 90s. They have on T-shirts, but the T-shirt got the ring this part around the neck, there's nothing over here. They might have just fragments of clothing. Many people had no shoes on. The ones that did have on shoes were only flip-flops, and there were several people who had on one shoe. And I remember some other preachers, and uh, why why would they just wear one shoe? And the man who was with us, he, he explained, He said, because they're hoping they come across another shoe eventually. They don't care if they match. They just want a shoe on. It doesn't even matter if the straps don't work. But see, sometimes, especially in the West, we we complain. We we complain verbally. We get online and we complain about this and that. And and, and you, you just haven't been anywhere to see the brokenness. And when you see the brokenness, it makes you a lot more appreciative. When you spend time with Jesus, it just causes you to talk more about him. It's the reason why grandparents like to talk about their grandkids. Some of us can give us, can give a better summarization, a better summarization of the last Super Bowl, play by play, than we could just one from just John 3.16. John 3.16 is the most popular passage in the entire Bible. The ungodly know, knows it. And we, many of us in this room, if you're 50 years old, you've probably heard it for 50 years. And you say, I, 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 can't, I can't really explain John 3.16. But you can, you can explain what took place last week at the Super Bowl play by play. You can even tell us every time they tuned the camera in on Taylor Swift. I'm just saying. 
I'm not here to, listen, I'm just telling you that I, I just want, listen, we, we got to focus in, buckle up, be big boys and big girls. Uh, the world, listen, it's a, it's a world on the line. A lost, dying world is on the line. And we just can't sit back and be comfortable. So we have to spend time with Christ in order to be successful. Also, we must seek the lost with conviction. Think about the, the, this, this, the, the prayer that is about to give it, be given here, starting in verse 24. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind, and they said, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why were the nations insolent and the people plotting in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, look at their threats. Grant it to your bond service to speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Uh, I tell you, there's a whole lot of good stuff in there. Uh, when it comes to witnessing, we must seek with conviction. So the church is called to be unified in this effort of seeking the loss. Now, God has given the church many gifts, many people in the church gifts. There is the gift of an evangelist. Do not confuse the gift of an evangelist with the commission to evangelize. There are those who are called and gifted as an evangelist. It does not mean that those who are called and gifted with the call of, of being an evangelist, it does not mean that all the work of evangelism is prescribed to them. The entire church, based upon the Great Commission, Matthew 28, has been actually commissioned to evangelize. Evangelism is to be the work of the church. Evangelism can be described as being in a place and position to catch fish. Whether you like fish or not, everyone is called to be an evangelist and throw the hook out. You can't determine if the fish is actually going to take the bait. But here's what you can trust. The bait is trustworthy. The bait is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who saves. It's Jesus, listen, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the lost to cause them to surrender and accept this great gift that God the Father has offered to the world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The good thing about it is he's good. He's good. And, and, and you, the church cannot use anything else. They, they have nothing else to present because Jesus Christ says, I am the way. He's not a way. He is the way. So the church has no other uh, 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 thing to draw people in. 
we have a person named Jesus Christ whom we are to proclaim and to preach. It's not up to you and I if the person actually gets saved. I want you to, some of us feel the pressure from evangelizing because we go into it with a performance mindset. It's based upon what I do. But this is going to be a work of God. Just like it was a work of God to save you and me. It's not based upon your performance. It's based upon the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Take that anxiety of performing off of your shoulders. God didn't call you to save anyone. He only called you and I to witness, to testify, to share the good news. That's what he called us to do. I cannot save anyone. No one in this room can save anyone. Jesus Christ does the saving. We are to present him to a lost and dying world. We are to do this with conviction, meaning we're supposed to be passionate about this. Notice how the church here, uh, starting in verse 21, uh, these group of believers, they started to pray. And notice they start to give God praise, saying, uh, Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. They're not saying this prayer to remind Jesus, I mean, to remind God that he created the heavens and the earth. They're not saying this to God to remind him that he's all that. You know what? While they were praying, it was to actually help them understand. It was a reminder to them that he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And we adore you because you are worthy to be praised because you are the creator, but you are also the sustainer, but you are also the one who, are, who is in control. There is no one else that we can trust with having what we can have confidence in far as their control with love than God. They say, God, you are the creator. You created the heavens and the earth. Everything in heaven belongs to you. Everything on earth belongs to you. Therefore, because you created everything, you deserve the praise. You are the creator. Every creature on, in heaven and on earth should praise you. I don't know about you, but because that is a truth, since God created all things, then I think I should be focused on sharing with this lost dying world about Jesus Christ so that they can fall in proper alignment with giving due credit to the one who actually created them. Not only that, they, they, he, uh, in this prayer they pointed out the nations are insolent, the people are plotting in vain, and, and, and they're asking, why are they doing this? Why? Why, why are they doing this? Why, 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 why are they stating this? Because no matter what the obstacle is that they throw at you, God, they have failed and they will continue to fail. God, every single thing that has been thrown 
to stop you or to stop your agenda or to stop your people, it has failed. I, I, I was trying to recall, I remember doing a study on a, a particular, I, all, I can, all I can think of his name that just start with, starts with a D. I remember doing a study like probably 10, 12 years ago, but um, centuries ago, they gave him medals and awards for trying to stomp out Christianity. And he, he, they thought he was so successful, they were giving him medals for it. And uh, I'm having a hard time remembering his name, but the whole point to it was no one else remembers his name either. It's been so many people, so many agendas, so many societies, so many uh, leaders, so many people groups that have went out to try to stop God and his plan, his purposes from going forth, and they have all failed. Nothing's going to stop God. Nothing's going to stop God's church. The worst thing that the church can do is do nothing because God has set us up on a plan and a program to succeed and win. Just think about it. God, God has set it up where we cannot lose. You, you, the, the gospel will work if we work it. But even when we don't work it, God says, I'm going to work it. But I'm going to hold you accountable for not, you not pulling your part. He says, the kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. But truly in this city, they were gathered against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And so in this prayer, they point back that this has been going on a long time. But even as recently, they thought they put an end to Jesus Christ. But remember, Jesus Christ has already risen from the grave. Many people have had witnessed him. In fact, you go back two chapters to Acts chapter 2, um, uh, you, you had the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit just moved, and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. And all of this happened, even though the leaders, the Jewish and the Roman leaders, had worked hard to not only stop Jesus by crucifying him, but to stop the spread of what we know as Christianity. And instead of stopping it, God had the plan always to utilize it to further the gospel. And the gospel continued to spread. And he says, you predestined this. And he says, now, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bond service. I love verse 29 and verse 30. Lord, grant it to your bond service to speak your word with all confidence. So the church is unified. The church is on, uh, so they're on one accord. And now they're saying, Lord, grant it to us, your servants, to speak your word with boldness. Now, I, I've already told you before that Peter and John were arrested for doing a good thing, right? Now, everyone's praying that God will give them 
the same boldness, the confidence to continue to speak also. Now, you would think that after being arrested and put on trial, that everyone would just scramble and run away. But instead, they're saying, Lord, give us the opportunity to speak again with confidence. It's not Peter and John this time only. Everyone is saying, give us this so that we may speak with confidence. Sounds a little crazy, right? You're telling me that if I go and speak, and I'm asking for confidence, I just saw what happened to Peter and John. I know what happened to Jesus, and I'm going to pray that I can do the same thing with the most likely outcome being that I'm going to get arrested, and at worst, I'm physically physically, going to die. And yet I pray for this? Yeah. A witness who walks with Jesus, spends so much time with Jesus, falls deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, wants to do more. And so if that means you're going to arrest me, arrest me. If it means I'm going to die for my king, for his sake, for his name's sake, so be it. So be it. They prayed and they asked to speak with all confidence. And, it's, and it says in verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And what they were saying is, hey, Lord, could you put forth more signs and wonders like you did earlier with the man who was unable to walk? because of his physical uh, disability. Lord, that, that same, which, which you move in a powerful way, which you move in a unique way, which you move in a supernatural way and continue to draw them, the lost, eyes to you so that we can speak even more so with confidence. That's what they're asking for. Now, now notice this. Sometimes we ask for miracles and we ask for signs. As you trace throughout the Bible, miracles and signs were always to point people to Jesus, not not just to satisfy you and my whims. Lord, I'm about to go play a lottery, and and if you really truly are God, it, it, it was to point people to Jesus. And he says, Lord, Lord, we want to speak. We want to speak with boldness. But there's a play on these words here when it says to speak your word with all confidence. When you look at the entire structure of the sentence back in Greek, it means, and they said, Lord, so that when we speak, you provide boldness. Let me tell you why. When you and I go and speak to someone, uh, share the gospel with someone, sometimes we say, I'm just so nervous. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what to say. I don't know how they're going to react. God didn't ask you. you listen, you do not have to be bold within yourself. Also, boldness can be, cannot be stored up for the next time. Okay? Every encounter you have with someone is going to require boldness. That boldness comes from God. All he asked you and I to do was to speak. 
when you and I speak, God provides the confidence. He backs those words. All you and I have to do is do is speak with love and with truth. God provides the boldness, the confidence. That's a God thing. I, I, I shared with you guys probably on two occasions. First time I shared the gospel with someone in public, I was at a mall and I had uh, someone, they were showing me how you can do this. They, we call them OJ. I was a OJT, on the job training. I learned, and, uh, and, they, and I was uh, part of this um, going through a program, learning how to share the gospel. I, uh, I think it was called EE uh, or NET. And so I was at this mall and I had my trainer, my coach with me. And he was saying, Joe, you know, let's pray about this gentleman over here uh, at the mall. He was at the food court. He said, let's pray, pray about, you know, is it this guy that God wants you to share the gospel? We prayed and I, I felt that peace. He felt that peace. And I went over to share the gospel with this gentleman at the mall. He had his two kids with him. And my coach was a few feet back. And my coach had told me, if you feel like you're in a pickle, a tight spot, I'll come over. Okay? I'll be there. So I go over there and I start talking with the man. And, and I'm going through some thoughts. Uh, so uh, I'm asking him about his secular life. Do you come to the mall often? You know, are these your kids? And we're just having a conversation. And eventually we got to the gospel. And I asked him about Jesus. That man yelled at me like the whole mall shut down. And everyone looked my way. And I turned around to my coach. My coach was running down the hall. <laughs> I kid you not. I like, <laughs> I know I, I didn't know he could run that fast, but he, he was moving. All right? he, he was going down the hallway, and here I was. And, uh, I, and, I, and I'm so glad I didn't need to use the restroom at the time because I wouldn't need to use the restroom. I, I was so nervous and I shrunk. I probably was the size of a Smurf. I was so afraid. That man yelled at me so loud. And, it, and he said it with so much passion and conviction. You just feel the hate and everything come out. And I shrunk away. And I thought that was going to be my last time. I thought it was going to be my last time. But an encounter happened. I had a friend named Howard Rodney. And Howard, he's not with us anymore. Howard was in his 20s. I was in my 20s. And Howard and I talked about everything. Basketball football, relationships, food, travel, working out. He was a, he was a, he was a uh, junior champion boxer. And we would not only talk, but we actually spent a lot of time together. And uh, Howard died in a car accident. But every single time we would talk, And we would talk about church and different things. I, was, I felt led to talk to him about, but do you know Jesus? You know, like, do you know Jesus like Peter described? 
So I want you to think back in chapter 4. They said, we don't want you to talk about Jesus, Peter. And Peter says, I must talk about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You, you, know, you, know, you know, I want you to catch this point. Peter, we don't want you to talk about Jesus. And Peter says, I must talk about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter, we don't want you to even say Jesus' name. And Peter said, I must talk about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You go back and read through chapter 4. Not only did Peter say his name, Peter says, let me tell you, and because there was a lot of people named Jesus. But I want you to understand that this is Jesus Christ. Christ is a Greek word of, use, of, of taking the Hebrew word uh, Messiah. I want you to know that this is the one that has been foretold. This is the one that has been prophesied about. Also, if there's any confusion, he's also the one that came out of Nazareth. You know, if you, uh, this is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I'm going to keep talking about him. I wish I had talked to Howard about Jesus Christ of Nazareth than just about church. I didn't. That has always been a, like a little needle that bothers me. Because he and I were close. And I know I had the relationship with him to talk to him about anything. But I was so defeated with that man that I didn't realize I was no longer physically like this, but spiritually and mentally I was still like this. And that's why my shoulders stand taller now. It's my, why my head holds up. I, I, it, it has nothing to do with I'm bolder. It's just that I come to the reality now that all I have to do is speak. God provides the boldness. In fact, even if I'm nervous while I talk, God will speak through my nervousness. Who said you got to feel at peace? Who said you got to be all confident? Who said you, you got to have your chest out when you talk about Jesus? He didn't say if you feel comfortable, then witness. I, I, oh, I, let, me let me tell you this, Dana, when you get to a place where you feel real comfortable, you got saved a few weeks ago. When you get real comfortable, the Bible doesn't say three years from now you can share Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that. When you walked out that door, you could have shared the gospel with anyone. Some of us sitting in this room, and you don't, listen, once again, don't raise your hand, but if you haven't shared the gospel in 20 years, you've missed out over the last 20 years. But guess what? God says, I redeemed that. Because now if you're sitting here and you say, I haven't done it in 20 years, God is a forgiving God. If you haven't done it in 30 years, God says, I'm a forgiving God. But now what are you going to do? Would you spend time with me? Would you seek the loss with confidence? And would you, would you share, would you share with those who are unsaved? Would, would, would you actually share with those who are unsaved. Come on. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Because I, I, I really want you to read through chapter four. I want you to see how uh, the balance of the chapter, uh, all the way through where they, the church comes together and they start giving um, of that. Some of them sell off their land. Some of them sell off their house. And this was in order to get the early church started because so many people were uh, destitute. 
So many people who had come from various corners of the Roman Empire had came to Jerusalem. And if you remember, hundreds, thousands had uh, come to know Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ and the movement that was taking place, many of them were uh, fired from their jobs. Uh, many of them had been ostracized from their family. Uh, many of them lost long-term relationships. Uh, there was a financial down, uh, downfall for those who had come to know Christ. And so what the believers started to do, they started to sell off their land as needed. They started to sell off their houses, their assets as needed in order to take care of each other. They were unified. They were unified. They were so unified and on point when it came to God that they gave up their physical things in order for the gospel to go forward. That's how unified the church was. It was a church of prayer. They were united in purpose. They were on the same accord there. And it just shows that the power of the church, when God works through it, it is amazing. Because look at us today. We're, we're, we're able to be in a setting like this and churches all around the world are meeting. But don't forget what these early church, early church uh, members, early Christian community had to go through. Well, guess what? Some things haven't changed. Because guess what? We're still given that same commission. We're still called to tell the world about Jesus. And the state of this world is lost and dying. That means this is a great harvest ground for you and I. So instead of, I know it's easy when we look at the world and see the calamity and the problems and whatnot, it's easy to complain about. It. But could you see it? Could you just possibly see it as an opportunity like Peter did when the man was healed and the crowd came? And Peter says, whoo, all these people together, let me preach. It's amazing. If you, it's sad. Sometimes people don't listen to the good news until something bad happens. But sometimes people listen when good things happen. Either way it goes, when you have the opportunity, share Jesus. Don't be guilty of being in a workplace. I'm closing. Don't be guilty of being in a place where you serve at a desk or serve at a restaurant serve uh, doing, do, doing uh, working with metal or working with wood, but you work with other people, but never ever share Jesus? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be sad if you worked somewhere for 25 years or five years and no one ever knew that you knew Jesus? Can someone say, when they look at you, when they hear you, that I know that you've been with Jesus? If you told someone, I cannot help but to talk about what I've seen and heard, would they say, well, I wonder what could it be? Wouldn't you be bothered by that? I asked you guys weeks ago, wouldn't it be a shame if you just found out? I've been here for a few years. What if you just found out today that I, my wife's name is Carmen and we've been married? But I, but, but I, but I say I love her. But you ain't never heard, you ain't never heard me talk about it. You never seen me with her. Nothing. Now, 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 
That, that would be a problem, right? I know it would be a problem. We'd probably be having a church meeting and say we need to do something with that. Well, it's the same way when we look at our relationship with Jesus. Shouldn't people know that you're in a relationship with Jesus? I'm telling you, it's the first step in order to, success, to, to witness successfully. The first step is that people need to know that you are with him, that you spend time with him. And it also should come out of your, not just your actions, but it should come out of your mouth. It should, and you should seek the loss with conviction. And you and I should speak with confidence, confidence, boldness from the Lord. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay. It's okay not, listen, if you don't know John 3.16, seriously, listen to me. If you don't know John 3.16, memorize it. I'm not going to say to you, don't. Listen, answer people with God's word. If you don't know, if you're a Christian, but you know no scripture, I want to encourage you to memorize John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Start with John 3.16. You memorize it. And every day, every day, you pray that scripture in your prayer. You pray. Say, God, I know you love the world. That means you love me. And Lord, I thank you so much for saving me. And God, because you saved me, I want to be a vessel for you. Because God, you love the world so much that you gave your only son. And Lord, you said that whoever believes in him, you said that they would not perish. And Lord, that's how I know that I have security in you. But Lord, I want the same thing for everyone else. Lord, help me to speak with confidence. Lord, these platforms that you have given me, Lord, help me, Father, to utilize them so that I can tell other people about you, my family, my friends, and Lord, even people who say that they're my foe. And Lord, I pray that their lives will be surrendered to you and that they will taste how great salvation is. And Father, then that you will utilize them to actually join this movement so that there will be more people telling others about Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, help me to witness successfully. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, so much for your love and the passion that you have demonstrated towards us to save us. But Lord, we know that this gift is so sweet, it's so good, that it must be shared with others. So Lord, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Guide us and direct us. Give us opportunity, increase our platforms, and may we utilize it always, Lord, to point people to you. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.